Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else. Even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Hey, Dave. Yeah, Randy. Since we founded Bombas, we've always said our socks, underwear, and T-shirts are super soft. Any new ideas? Maybe sublimely soft. Or disgustingly cozy. Wait, what? I got it. Bombas. Absurdly comfortable essentials for yourself and for those facing homelessness. Because one purchased equals one donated. Wow, did we just write an ad? Yes. Bombus. Big comfort for everyone. Go to bombus.com slash ACAST and use code ACAST for 20% off your first purchase. You're listening to Wood Talk Online with your host, Mark and Matt. Take it away, boys. Welcome to Wood Talk Online, episode 11, a podcast for guys who didn't make People Magazine's list of sexiest guys, by guys who didn't make People Magazine's list of sexiest guys. I'm Mark Spagnolo, And I'm Matt Vangelis. And you know what? I am currently in the process of writing a strongly worded letter to the editors of People Magazine for their obviously grave oversight of not listening or listing us in their special issue. I mean, but if any of you were still interested in maybe contacting us with a question or comment, no matter what our ranking is in some stupid magazine, just send us an email at woodtalkonline at gmail.com. Or you can head over to woodtalkonline.com and leave us a voicemail. That way you don't have to worry about me slaughtering your name or question with my own special brand of English. <laughs> there you go. <laughs> yeah, I'm a little upset about the People Magazine thing too. But, you know, we persevere and um, well, there's always next year, you know. Yeah, you know, and it, I'm just I'm canceling my subscription to them as soon as I finish the last article about, you know, uh, Tom and Katie. I'm just, <laughs> oh, I'm so angry. It's it, Matthew McConaughey. That's the one you want to read, so. Oh, in that case, a little pages that on. <laughs> um, yeah. So anyway, um, you know, th- things have been uh, pretty busy for me. How- how's everything going in your shop? Definitely, I've had a chance to get into the shop and do a few things. I uh, actually picked up a small commission job where more or less the person kind of got a bed started for him and his wife and has found that he it's way over his head and his wife is kind of like, you get this done in the next month or two oh, or it's over. Uh, that's always a bummer. Well, that's yeah, good, so though, but, snu- but you got the commission, he, so that's cool. Exactly. He snuck it out of the house, brought it over to my shop, and I've been working on it since, so how, we're doing um, pretty good. <laughs> how far along is it? Uh, it's the, the headboard and the frame, and the uh, the footboard, actually. are I'm doing the dry-up right now, so it's it's almost done. It's oh, nice. very, very close. That's cool, and, and you're getting uh, a, a good a good amount of money for it? Um, we're we're kind of doing a little trade, more or less. Uh, he doesn't tell my wife a little secret. I don't tell his wife a little uh, secret. So we're go. okay. <laughs> smart man, smart man. Um, yeah, and things are uh, yeah busy as usual. With I'm still on this armor project with the 
with the wood whisperer shop these days. But, um, the most exciting thing that's happened to me was my, my trip to the eye doctor yesterday. Oh, do tell, do tell. <laughs> yeah. I, uh, I, I just went in for a, a standard checkup. I noticed my, uh, my left bionic eye was uh, dropping off in, uh, in accuracy and, uh, I needed to get that addressed. So, um, turns out there's really nothing wrong in terms of uh, me actually needing glasses. He said, if you wanted them, you can get them, but, um, legally I don't need to. Uh, but anyway, yeah, so I, I guess I haven't really had much experience with having my pupils dilated before. And um, I wasn't, you know, I, I had heard that, you know, makes it a little blurry and you get a little light sensitive, but I wasn't uh, prepared for what I what I actually confronted when I went outside. Um, so, you know, mind you, it's 105 degrees in Phoenix and I walk outside and I, I felt like a, a vampire for a few seconds. <laughs> I was, I was like, <laughs> it was pretty bad. So I wasn't sure if you're able to read that, that email I sent you. That's why I put it in the really, really bold yeah. one. That's usually the type I use for my grandmother. But <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that, that, I needed it too. Actually, it was, uh, it was bad. I came home and I was in front of the webcam. Uh, in the shop and I someone was typing to me and I still have no idea who it was or what they were saying I just kind of laughed and said I, I probably shouldn't be in the shop at this point if I can't even see so I was uh, just gonna say I'm like you were in the shop now wait a minute though everything was unplugged right <laughs> <laughs> yeah exactly uh, definitely not the right time to be in there but uh, so yeah that was that was about as exciting as my day got yesterday Cool. Well, you know, since you were talking about medical stuff, this reminded me. I recently saw an article, and it was actually in Woodcraft Magazine, talking about a there's a, a bit of a rise, apparently, in nail gun injuries. Really? Um, this seems to be a, a major problem. I guess the CDC was actually covering it. And uh, huh. let me see if I can find the article here. Uh, basically, it kind of says that the CDC statistics show that the number of consumers treated for nail gun injuries in emergency rooms doubled between 1991 and 2005. Hmm. Now, this is where it gets really scary. Is between 2004 and 2005 alone, that number tripled. Whoa. <laughs> yes. I mean, that's huge. What's the, did Home Depot have a sale? What's going on there? I don't know. I mean, that, that that's they're they're really kind of, I guess, basically saying that it's all these guys and maybe gals too that are heading out and getting kind of these small compressor guns and kind of just having at it. I I'm, think it's. Uh, I, I mean, I know myself. I don't get it anywhere near my foot, preferably, but who knows? Wow, <laughs> just that was a crazy thing when I read that. Wow, I choose uh, I choose to blame Norm for that actually. <laughs> Uh, his, it does make it look a little bit too easy. His, his influence. Well, you know what? I guess there have been times when I've seen, you know, maybe a two-inch Brad uh, go into a piece of material, and it sort of has a mind of its own. And I look mm -hmm. at it and go, you know what? Thank God my hand wasn't there, my finger wasn't there, because uh, sometimes those things go a little further than you think. And if your hand is is in place supporting it, you could wind up with that nail right through your finger. So I can I can kind of see how that could happen, but uh, does it mention whether we're talking like small-scale nails or if they're talking like framing nails? Uh, let's see here. Uh, increased use of pneumatic in the workplace. Uh, yeah, it doesn't really kind of go into it. It just kind of gives a, a little spiel about what, you know, the CDC suggests to kind of get around it. You know, sure. Like the, the, the special nose contact and, you know, all that all that good stuff. Basically, the, the safety measures, but that's a, that's a good question. I, I really would like to know if it was more or less kind of what what exactly was going on? Yeah, because I, I mean, as a, as a woodworker, how often are we actually picking up anything other than, you know, a brad nailer or a stapler or a pin nailer? But, um, well, I mean, I guess that serves as a good reminder to everybody to just, you know, be careful out there. Watch. Always think about the next step, you know. Don't think about just firing the nail. Think about where that nail is going and where your hand is or your foot or other appendage. Yeah. 
preferably stay away from all soft tissue uh, areas. Yeah, I mean, the bottom line is any of this stuff. Look what it does to wood. You know, that thing <laughs> shoots effortlessly through wood. Pretty sure it can handle your finger. So. Yeah, especially when you have it uh, set for like the deepest depression so you don't have to, you know, worry about resetting it. <laughs> right, exactly. So. Well, uh, I think we could probably just move right into the voicemail. We got a couple this time, and um, I, uh, you got the first one here, so I'll let you take it away. Hey, guys. Thanks for the show. Uh, besides the obvious savings in money, are, are there any other advantages of using plywood over dimensional lumber? All right, Lokes. Well, thanks for the question. I really appreciate it, and obviously send more questions in so that we don't slaughter things. But when it comes to plywood versus dimensional, the first thing that comes to my mind is really the ease of use. For me, plywood... The one thing I'm always thinking about is the fact that it is so much more stable when it comes to wood movement versus dimensional lumber. Now, in fact, there really is very little wood movement, if at all, and thus this is really ideal for situations where you may be concerned about seasonal movements of dimensional lumber. Next, because of obviously the predictability of the size, usually four foot by eight foot sheets, it's rather easy to quickly rough out components without having to glue up several boards, which obviously can mean something like, you know, jointing edges and then gluing up those edges and then possibly having to level out joint lines because you didn't get them set up the right way, kind of get an idea where I'm going here. Now, also depending on the species of wood and the grade of veneers used to make the plywood, uh, matching up components may be a little bit easier also. For example, you want drawer fronts that come as close to matching each other as possible, both in grain pattern and color. Plywood can actually be a big help in that task. Now, depending on the species of wood you are hoping to use, plywood may actually be lighter, thus making your project a little bit easier to move around and kind of work with. Unlike dimensional lumber, plywood also tends to be a little bit flatter, unless, of course, you live in the desert like Mark <laughs> and don't take precautions to keep it flat. Mm -hmm. uh, you know, So you get those nice paper, uh, uh, potato chip effect. Uh, let's see here. Uh, again, a, a huge plus when constructing a number of projects, you know, the fact that it tends to be a little bit flatter if you uh, store it the right way. And, uh, you know, when it comes down to it, I really have and I do use plywood in a number of projects where dimensional lumber could be used to complete the task, but plywood just really kind of makes it that much easier because of the fact that it's the larger sheet so you can cut out much wider um, sides, uh, components more or less, in one failed swoop without having to go through that whole glue up and everything. Uh, so that, that, in my opinion, really kind of helps out. And yeah, of course, when compared to the price of the same wood species and solid wood, a lot of times plywood is usually the winner in that situation. So sure. as far as I'm concerned, those are some of the things that I'm thinking of why plywood might be nice to work with versus dimensional when you get an opportunity. Sure. No, Any ideas on that, Mark? Uh, yeah, I would say, I mean, uh, in addition to what you said, we're uh, on a slight tangent. You know, for me, plywood seems to make certain things possible that may not be possible with solid wood. And, uh, you know, this armor that I'm working on, for instance, the particular design that the customer wants really would not be a good idea in solid wood. It would just, you know, over time as the, the thing moves back and forth, it's it's going to another country. You know, the piece of furniture is going to be moving to another country. Um, you know, so it's going to experience a variety of environmental conditions, and I need to make sure that this thing is stable. So touching on, you know, you did mention stability. That's one thing that allows me to get more creative in my designs because I know it's not going to move. When you have to plan, you know, plan for movement, there are rules and restrictions that you have to abide by, and plywood sort of allows you to break those, uh, you know, those stipulations that you would have if it were solid wood. Um, 
and you know another thing you also touched on the, the the idea that you have these veneers on the plywood so if you're using let's say plywood as your substrate you know you can get extremely creative and you have access you know sort of talking about the cost thing but you have access to really exotic species and things at a lower cost form because you can buy the veneer and lay up your own panels um you know so again creativity and then also being able to use some more uh, exotic stuff, but obviously, you know, in some cases though, you get some really good a one, you know, plywood that, that may start to, uh, start to come pretty close to the cost of, of what that might be in, uh, in solid wood, depending on the grade of the material and, and where you're buying it. But, um, oh, but yeah, yes. definitely, <laughs> but obviously, you know, if you need to cut up a bunch of boards, think about the time it's going to take to mill those down and get a bunch of, you know, flat boards that equal a four by eight space versus, okay, I just went, picked it up, put it in my truck and took it home. Um, so yeah, all that together, I think, uh, you know, it has its advantages for sure. Sweet. All right. Uh, we have a, another voicemail and, uh, this one is, is particularly cute. It's from, uh, Grant and Vicky and it's uh, cute. And I would say not because of Grant, just, okay. just for clarification. <laughs> so say, Wait a minute. We're woodworkers. We're not supposed to be cute. We're, we're <laughs> burly and mean. Exactly. That we are. Okay. Here we go. Hi from Vicky. And hi from Grant. You're the best. Hey, great to hear you. Uh, we're in Australia here and we're, uh, I'm building a uh, preparation table. And what I'm wanting to know is I'm wanting to do an edging around it, whether to go with a hardwood or a softwood for the uh, edge. Okay, great. Keep up the good work. Fantastic to hear the uh, podcast. It's really inspired me to keep on going. And, yeah, I've uh, gone and uh, bought Triton gear galore just... Uh, to get the uh, stuff done around the house that I want to do, the little projects, bits and pieces. Okay, bye. Well, if that wasn't the most adorable thing I've ever heard. My, my little Grinch heart has melted. Yes, mine <laughs> Mine has grown three sizes today. Um, uh, well, first of all, um, aside from uh, Grant's question, we'll get to that in a second. Um, Grant didn't leave me an email address. So Grant, if you hear this, uh, email me. I would really love to have, uh, Vicky record an introduction if she's, uh, so inclined, if she feels like it, we would love to have her record a little intro for Wood Talk Online. I mean, that, that, I think she has an adorable voice and the accent is great and, uh, get in touch with us. That would be totally awesome. Yeah, and actually, you know what, Mark, since you're mentioning the, uh, the emails, anytime anybody sends a voicemail, they probably should drop us a, a, an email also just so in case we actually need to get a hold of them because mm-hmm. um, for whatever reason. <laughs> like this one, we might need like you to one. do work for us for free. And, uh, you know, we need your email address to do that. Or, hey, you know, if you if uh, she has an idea what she'd like to say, just go ahead and leave it as a voicemail and I could pull the MP3 and put that in as, our, as one there of our go. intros uh, because I've already started to sample that. So, uh you know what I'm saying? Um, all right. So, <laughs> uh, what did he even ask? I totally it was about a hard hardwood or softwood for the edge of a uh, preparation gotcha. table. Yeah. Okay. Well, um, this one I, I would definitely say for me, anytime I could use a hardwood, I will. Um, if it's a cost savings thing, sure. You know, you could use. If, if let's say he's talking about maple. Um, you know, soft maple doesn't look all that different from hard maple. And in in a lot of cases for shop furniture, you know, things like that, it's not bad if you're looking to save a few bucks, but, um, for ultimate durability, he's using it in the kitchen. It's around the preparation table. Um, I personally, I would just go straight for the hardwood. 
Um, I think it's going to hold up better over time. If you hit it, a can, you know, or a knife edge or something against it, uh, I think that's going to be your better material. That makes absolute sense. I agree with you 100%. Cool. Good thing. Otherwise, uh, we'd have to part ways, I'm going to beat you with that hardwood. (laughs) Exactly. (laughs) Um, So let's jump right into the emails. All right. Well, we have a few. We do. We do. People actually emailed us. I can't believe it, but... Um, now we're forced to answer the questions. Those fools. Uh, man, if they only knew. Okay, uh, this email is from Roberto. Ooh. Roberto says, I'd like to attend a woodworking school, but I uh, need opinions from you guys. I know that Mark S., that would be me, interned oh. with Mr. Marks, and I assume Matt did something similar, but for the most part, my understanding is you guys are both self-taught, uh, and I would say that's correct. Yep, absolutely. Uh, so with all the knowledge you've learned in your wood shops, would you recommend taking a formal woodworking course or learn as you go? Uh, what if one of these days I aspire to own a shop where I make my living as a woodworker? Will a degree in woodworking, cabinet making be of value? Uh, here's a link to the school I was thinking about attending, and he put up a link for uh, Palomar, which is uh, palomar.edu slash woodworking and um, let's see he says keep up the good work so Palomar College is actually in San Diego Um, I think it's kind of closer to Escondido but San Diego area Um, and when I lived there I never took advantage of the fact that they have probably one of the most well-known and and qualified woodworking schools in the country and um, what yeah believe it or not (sighs) and I I just uh, I never took advantage of it and um, kind of regret it now but uh, that is a great school so i would say first of all if you're going to go somewhere and you're there um definitely uh palomar is great they've they've got um you know i guess you could work toward some sort of a degree or certificate but they've also got uh you know weekend courses from what i understand so if you want to take you know just a night course on woodworking you can do that too uh, and also in that area is, um, I believe the William Eng School is somewhere between San Diego and L.A. I'm not exactly sure where, uh, but William Eng is a pretty cool dude. And I met, met the guys there at a few different shows, and they're all pretty cool guys, and they, they make some good stuff there. So, um, But I would also say just briefly, findwoodworking.com has an excellent school directory. And the address for it, I haven't been able to find anything shorter than like, you know, 100 characters. So go to the website and just type in school directory and you'll get a nice state by state directory of schools and you could find different schools in in your area. So to now finally get to his question, um, I do have an opinion on this. And again, this is just my opinion. So I would love to hear what other people think about the topic. Um, For me, you know, a degree in woodworking. Going to school and and learning and getting as much formal education as possible is awesome. And I highly recommend that, especially if you're going to go into business for yourself. It's good to get this sort of hands-on experience and, uh, you know, take the fast track to learning this stuff. Um, The thing is, will it matter? Will a degree on your wall or a certificate on your wall mean anything to your customer? I'm going to say probably not. Um, I don't think people pick a furniture maker. Most people don't pick a furniture maker by their, you know, uh, school credentials, you know, in fact, you know, working in biotech, I can say that very seldom has anyone even given a crap where my bachelor's degree was from. It was just the fact that I had one that they were concerned about. 
Um, yep, that sounds very familiar with my field too. Yeah, and I mean, with uh, with woodworking, honestly, if you're building a coffee table for someone, they could probably care less where you went to school. They want to see what you've made before. They want to maybe have a few good references from uh, customers you worked for before, and they want to see you know images in a gallery of things that you've made. Um, you know, the, some of the best woodworkers in the world never had formal instruction. Um, mm-hmm. You know, so so. I just don't think that putting value on the piece of paper is not the way to go, but getting the most out of those classes and then sort of uh, transferring that knowledge into a business is a great idea. Yeah, I I totally agree with you. A lot of times I think when it comes to the schools, it might actually be more of a thing between woodworkers, kind of like, you know, one of those, oh, you went to the school of the Redwoods or something like that, and it's like that awe factor. But yeah, for most people, the common everyday person that really doesn't know too much about, you know, the ins and outs of woodworking and and, a lot of the the basis behind the design styles, you're right, they they really wouldn't have a clue what you're talking about. They'd almost be like, oh, he studied in some woods. Oh, that's nice. And and the other thing is there's there's so many... um, tricks to the trade, you know, and if you spend any time with a master woodworker and just, you know, absorb all those little things that he's picked up over, you know, his 40, 50 years in in the business, um, that's the stuff that's that's invaluable. And that's also the stuff that you may not necessarily pick up at a school. I mean, you could, obviously, all these instructors uh, bring a wealth of knowledge with them. So it's, it's a great opportunity to learn that way. Um, right. But my point is, a lot of that stuff is not textbook. It's, it's a lot of experience. And, um, you know, so anyway, just to, to quickly answer his question, I would say take as many classes as you want or can. But I, I think, you know, be very smart about which classes. I think your money would be better spent targeting classes that you know could be particularly valuable to your future as a woodworker, as opposed to signing up for a curriculum that may, you know, force you to take things that either don't interest you or may not be as uh, transferable to what you plan to do to make money from that. Um, So you could probably save money and and target things specifically. Um, That probably would be, you know, my best recommendation. Uh, Absolutely. 100% behind you on that. I agree. Good thing. Good thing. Cool. Cool. All righty. So let's see. Let's move on to our next question, which, uh, who is this by? This is by Tony, and he has a dust collection question for us. He says, uh, I have a small shop, a one-car garage that's 10 foot by 24, and that I have to share with our minivan. Uh, Oh, he said, luckily, though, his wife insists on parking it only in the winter. Yeah. The garage is unheated, so he's not a problem. Yeah. Good for him. Uh, let's see here. Uh, I don't have a lot of room for the tools I have, let alone a cyclone. Uh, I'm getting a three-quarter, three-quarter horsepower mini DC, which is much like the Delta AP300 Shopmaster that I can roll into a corner. Not that I have any corners left, according to Tony here, or at least out of the way. Uh, my Craftsman uh, table saw has a four-inch dust port, as does my Grizzly bandsaw, 14-inch bandsaw. Ooh, nice one. Mm-hmm. Uh, do you think this DC will work with these saws? What do you do? What do you use to collect dust with your router? Oh, this the second question so let's do the first one first sure. kind of the asking about the uh the dust collector i was looking up what tony had put on here this delta ap 300 shop master mm-hmm. and it, this is one of those little roll around ones that just kind of from one spot to the other it, you hook it up to basically one machine at a time and the, i think it's the cfm on it which is the i think it's cubic feet per uh meter or something like that right. it more or less refers to the actual suction itself and this one comes in at about 500 so 
for a four-foot-long hose hooked up to one machine, it should work out pretty fine. In fact, actually, I have a grizzly one-horsepower uh, dust collector that has about the same size, same amount of suction, and it works great just for that. If I want to hook it up to another machine, I have to take it off the first one, move it over, and I get really decent results. Mm-hmm. Ideally, it'd be great if I was, you know, had a little bit more power to it. So that's when you start looking at like maybe one that has 1500 CFM, and the 1500, you kind of get to that point where you can actually hook up multiple machines and get decent results from it. Mm. But really for the price, this isn't so bad if you don't mind moving it around. And, and it doesn't really sound like Tony has a problem with it. No. Um, I don't know, maybe I'm just overreading that in the, the email. But I, I think it, he might be kind of interested in going with this. Um, and you know, I, it would be great to have a cyclone. I, I would love to have one. I'm trying to convince my kids to move out of one of the bedrooms so I can you know easily hook up more stuff. But there I don't go. think that's going to happen. Nice. So um, that's really my opinion, though. I think for most basement workshops and most garage workshops, uh, you know, something about this size with a C hundred five hundred CFM should be decent enough for what you need to do. But again, if you have space where you can actually hook up a larger one, I say go for it. What do you sure. think, Mark? Yeah, I mean, if you if you got a small shop, you know, and you don't mind pushing that thing around. In this case, it may not even be an option. You may just have to do that. As long as you're doing relatively short runs, you know, that thing's going to work fine. One machine at a time, it'll be fine. Uh, in fact, when I first uh, started woodworking, I picked up the Delta. Not not the one he's talking about. The one he's talking about is the, the little one that's on the floor, and it looks like a, just a blower with a bag on it. But um, okay. I had the one that was up on a stand and was a vertical unit and probably wasn't a whole lot more powerful than his and I would uh, just roll that around from machine to machine, and it worked great, you know. So as long as you don't overtax it and try to run three or four machines off of the the one line, it's one machine at a time. Um, I think I think he'll be pretty happy with those results. Sweet, yeah. That you know, and I I have heard some people say that you can kind of create a miniature cyclone. I kind of do this with my jointer and my planer, where I have one of those cyclone lids with the trash can and the big chips going to yeah, that. And so it you seems just have like to a help separator. improve a little bit of the suction, but not so much that it's actually going to bump it up to the you know the larger like fifteen hundred or something. Sure. So if you want to hook up multiple machines, obviously go to the big one. But yep. yeah, I I think that would work out fine in in most small shops. Mm-hmm. Now, let's see. Tony had a second question here, which was, what do you use to collect dust with your router? I have a DW621 plunge router, and my Craftsman uh, shop vac doesn't do that great a job getting the chips. Of course, that was before I actually cleaned uh, two pounds of dust out of the filter over the weekend, so it might be doing better now. Um, Hopefully. Yeah, Tony, that's kind of when it comes to uh, shop vacs and vacuums and, like, lungs it helps if you kind of clean them out a little bit <laughs> they kind of need to breathe yeah. to work at their their optimal uh and then he kind of follows up with uh but i don't have the right fittings for that router what fittings do you guys use and where'd you get them now with my particular router that i have a um it does have a, a small router dust collector kind of thing hooked up to it and basically it's just this little uh, I don't know what you even call it, like a little plate that you kind of hook up to it and hook a hose up and, and suck it out. And it works so-so. It's nothing really spectacular. Mm-hmm. I, um, that one actually, the, my biggest complaint with it is it more or less kind of assumes that chips are going to fly up towards the motor and then suck them out. I know there <laughs> are other router dust collector kind of thingies that actually catch it above and below where the cutting action is. But you, I guess you'd be kind of, uh, I don't know, um, taxed to really kind of do this uh, if you were making... I don't know, it's certain cuts with it. You can only do it like maybe on the edge or something to get really decent results from it. Sure. Now, as for fittings, I'm thinking 
you can easily get like those multiple fitting ones that you get that giant thingy. It looks like a big funnel, and you can kind of cut it down to the various sizes yeah, that you need. Like four, four I would just sizes. check out a catalog of, like Woodcraft, Rockler, what have you. It seems like they've got a ton of dust collector f- fittings, basically, that you could choose from, maybe kind of manipulate them to get what you want. Um, other than that, I can't think of a very specific one. Um, you got any ideas? Yeah, actually, the combination he's talking about is almost exactly what uh, what I run. I've got a DeWalt uh, 621, and I've got a regular ShopVac brand ShopVac. Um, first off, just he mentioned his filter. He should definitely use a bag. Uh, I went yeah. for a few years not using a bag, and I also went through two motors because of it. Uh, Ouch. So, yeah, if you're doing a lot of dust collection, especially from your sander, um, you don't want that filter to be caked up. If it's getting caked up, that dust will get past the filter and it'll get into the motor and it's eventually going to kill your motor. So definitely, I mean, it's like, I know it's expensive and it's kind of a pain, but it's worth it because if, you know, it's going to be cheaper than buying a new shop vac a year from now. So use those bags and the flow will be so much better for such a long period of time. You'll wonder why you didn't do it in the first place. Um, and you actually didn't break in there. I was going to say that's, uh-huh. that's a really great point because, uh, my first shop back I had, you could use a bag on it and you're right. I noticed a huge difference with it. Unfortunately, I thought I was stepping up to a better one. I ended up buying one of those large rigid ones okay. and they, here's a little fact for everybody. Rigid vacuums do not use bags. I mean, you can't get a bag for it. No kidding. So you're stuck basically uncaking the filter periodically. Did not know that. Pain. Oh, interesting. Well, that remind me not to buy that. Um, <laughs> anyway, so I basically with the 621, here's what I did. The little nozzle at the top, um, I hope I hope I can describe all this properly. It's got a, a little connection at the top, which is obviously too small for a shop vac hose. But they did sell a kit at Lowe's that I picked up was a, a smaller hose kit. And it's got the, you know, it's basically just a whole new hose and a little adapter and all that stuff. But basically, it comes down to about, I would guess, it maybe an inch and a half in diameter, uh, total guess. And that's pretty close. Almost it's, it's almost exactly the same size as the port that's on the top of the DW621. So what I did was I went over to the plumbing area. I got one of those rubber fittings that has... Um, it's just a coupler that has, um, you know, basically has the uh, two metal clamps on each side, mm-hmm. the, the little screw clamps. Um, and one end fits perfectly over the DeWalt. The other end fits perfectly over the, uh, or, or, you know, will take the, um, the hose from the skinny hose perfectly. So I basically permanently attached it to the router. And then just whenever I need that hose plugged into the router, I just pop it into the other end. And, and that actually worked really well. Nice. Um, gives you a lot of flexibility. <laughs> um, but just as, you know, from experience, the DeWalt 621 is not that great in terms of dust collection. Most of the time, you know, the heart of the collection is too far away from the bit to really do anything. You know, kind of like you were saying, it's just too far away to to pull the chips out. Um, but yeah. if you're going to get it set up and do the best you can, you know, that's that's the way I would recommend doing it. Check out the plumbing section. Sweet. Nice little trick. We're going to start a second episode about, or a second show all about you know, how we rig things up. Yeah, well, you know what? When, you, when, when you're desperate, there's, there's usually some solution sitting on the shelf there at Home Depot. You just got to figure out what combination will get you there. <laughs> Absolutely. Uh, <laughs> all right. So uh, our next email we have from Ryan from Chattanooga. New Jersey. Not not New Jersey. It's actually Tennessee. But um, question is about HVLP finishing, specifically the Earlex HVLP Spray Station Pro, commonly found online for about three hundred dollars. 
this unit is a turbine unit. Does that mean that it supplies its own air, or uh, do I have to hook it up to an air compressor? I only have a small uh, pancake compressor blah, 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 that cannot be used for spray finishing. Do either of you have any experience with turbine units like this one? If so, what's your take on them? Will I be limited to the type of finishes I can spray successfully? Essentially, uh, getting a setup for spray finishing around $300 sounds pretty good to me. Um, after brushing two large painted bu built-in bookcase units, um, am I missing something or is this a good deal? Thanks. Keep up the great work in the podcast. It's great. I would say, first of all, I don't have experience with the Earlex system. I have seen it primarily at Woodcraft, I believe. Um, mm -hmm. And it's a great price, and it doesn't look like garbage necessarily, like some of the cheap, you know, like we've talked about some of the cheap alternatives to actually buying a good HVLP system, and typically they right. they are as, you know, worthless as they look. They, they just don't <laughs> look like good stuff. But this one, on the other hand, looks like a reasonable spray system, and uh, did a little, you know, research on it, and it's a two-stage unit. Now, what I would say about that to address his issue about different finishes, a uh, two-stage unit should... One size fits all seems like a good idea for clothes until you try them on. Same goes for healthcare. That's why United Healthcare offers flexible, budget-friendly coverage for medical, vision, dental, and more. Learn more at UH1.com. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com people today. Be able to handle poly, lacquer, shellac, you know, just about any of the standard top coats you throw at it. I don't think you're going to push latex paint through that. Um, that's going to be a little bit of a strain. Now, I've got a three-stage turbine, and if I were spraying a lot of latex, I probably would jump up to the four, even though three can probably handle it with the right tip. I probably would not make – I probably, w I mean, I would probably try it because I'm stupid and I'll try anything once to see if it works, but <laughs> – just want to do it. <laughs> yeah, but based based on theory, I don't think that the two-stage compressor will be able to push out the latex paint properly. Um, but if you're just doing, you know, hobbyist to advanced hobbyist level work, and pardon me, and you're just looking for a good way to get a quick finish sprayed on the surface, and like I said, you're sticking to those clear coats, um, I, it looks like a, a system that's worth a shot. You know, for 300 bucks, it, you're still obviously investing a decent amount of money. It's not like you're paying 50 bucks at Harbor Freight, you know, but you're, you're, right. you're putting a good amount of money into it. And I think you'll get that much quality back, which you know, $300 is a decent amount of money. So, um, you know, you're not going to spray a finish on a car with this thing, but um, I think it certainly could handle most projects that you throw at it. That sounds good. Yeah, I, I haven't had a chance to look at this. I think once we get done here, maybe I'll head over and take a look at it because I've once again been thinking about getting back into the spray portion of finishing versus yeah. my uh, carpal tunnel kicking in from all the uh, brushwork. <laughs> there but you go. Um, we'll have to oh, see it. Well, and I actually forgot to answer his other question. He asked if it makes it a, its own air, and yes, that's what uh, any turbine generally the purpose is for it to produce its own air supply and uh, not the band, but the actual <laughs> supply of air. Um, so they, they do produce their own air. Think of, um, it's like a vacuum cleaner in reverse. 
Okay. And that's, okay. that's the type of air that it's going to blow out. So don't worry about your compressor. Um, you know, like me, I keep a small compressor in the shop for all the woodworking stuff and I never have to worry about getting a big one because I don't use it for my spray finishing. Right. And we want to be careful with those pancake compressors. Everybody remember there seems to be a rise in nail gun injuries. Yes. So. <laughs> yes. Don't shoot through your finger and uh, don't listen to air supply while you're in the shop either. Oh, when you, I just, wouldn't go that far. It's just I mean, uncool. I do have the greatest hits. It's totally uncool. Wait, it's uncool? <laughs> yes. You're actually going to tell me it's not cool to have Hello Kitty all over your wall either. <laughs> no, actually, that's quite fashionable. But Oh, in that case. <laughs> <laughs> all right. <laughs> Let's see here. Now we have uh, we have another email, which is actually uh, comments from a previous topics that we had on uh, the show earlier. Uh-huh. Well, obviously, previous topics. Anyways, let's get right into it. Um, let's see. Who is this? This is Scott, and Scott is, he has a couple of comments, actually. First of all, I want to say I really enjoy the different views that you provide. Um, I guess he's talking about us. Oh, okay. And I have listened to all of your shows and have info on uh, a couple of topics that you have covered. Now, first off, he's talking about the Festool Domino Cutter. He says he's built three chairs and two tables with it for my day job. Nice. The machine works exactly like a biscuit cutter, but with the Domino, you create a tenon joint perfectly fit with no slop. A great machine for a piece-by-piece basis, but a bit he feels it's a bit slow for production work. Uh, I think. Do you feel the opposite way about that? Well, I guess if he says he's using it for his job, then he may be looking at a different level of production work than the average person might think of production. For me, in terms of production work, it speeds things up, but I'm not comparing it to a CNC machine to, you know what I mean? Not that they do the same thing, but you get what I'm saying. I'm not talking about those higher end production machines. I I have the same type of equipment that, you know, uh, a hobbyist would have in their shop. So to me, the domino speeds things up to a level that I would consider production level, but for him, it may slow things down. So um, but right. again, base, I, I guess basis that of means comparison. It's all really about perspective. Perspective, <laughs> yeah, exactly. Okay, well, let's see here. Now, Scott also wants to talk about, uh, he has free design software. Well, uh, Go to www.ecabinetsystems.com. Of course, we'll have this in the show notes. Mm-hmm. And he says it's an excellent, powerful, and free. Go to the site and request a CD. This is actually a division of the Thermowood, or Thermwood CNC company. So you end up being able to actually design a piece of furniture or a whole house of cabinets. Uh, if you use their production sharing program, someone can even cut out your project and deliver it to your home for assembly, even dovetail drawers and piece doors but we will also show you how to cut the plywood yourself to create the best yield Ooh, that's kind of a nice thing. that is awesome that's very helpful yeah definitely uh, let's see here great forums uh, and they have very patient mentors and designers unlike us I am not patient at all <laughs> I'm patient that's why I, I use uh, email people don't know well, you know it's really scary is I'm the patient one in my family so if that gives you any idea what my family's like oh boy <laughs> Remind me not to come uh, over. See. Yeah, the neighbors hate us. They're like, you know, in the winter, it's not so bad. The windows are closed. But the summer, damn it, if I got to hear them screaming at each other one more day. <laughs> nice. So let's see here. Uh, one more th- uh, comment that we have. or Oh, two more. Uh, he's talking about the CompuWare or CompuCarve, CarveWrite. Uh, though the initial run from China was played with problems. Sounds like a few things have been coming out of China has been plagued also. Mm-hmm. Um, I received mine in March, have 40 hours on it, and have not had a problem with the machine that didn't require just proper cleaning and lubrication. This machine is limited by only size and your imagination. Well, in my house, it might be limited quite a bit then. Um, but if you use your imagination, the size won't matter. The machine is open-ended, but it's limited to 14 and a half inches wide. The blank rolls through on sandpaper conveyors, under pressure rollers, and the cutter head goes back and forth like a little printer. Uh, you create the design of your computer and put it, well, we kind of went into this before, so kind of get the idea sure. of what, what you're doing with it. Yep. Um, but what he says, don't think of it only for carvings. I am using mine right now to route out gun stock holders for a corner gun cabinet. I'm nice. staying away from Scott's house. 
<laughs> Let's see here. It's also great to make precise jigs and fixtures. Oh, that's a good point. That's pretty cool. And he says there's some uh, great forms for any help that you might need if you're using it. Nice. Um, well, we talked about see, that one... before, but I think we both decided it. You know that we wouldn't have a whole lot of use for it. But I, I guess if you get a little more creative and you see what someone else can do with it, then maybe, uh, not that you would still buy it, but it might make you think, ah, that might actually come in handy. Uh, once again, we're going into perspective. Perspective, <laughs> yes, absolutely. Yeah, it, it does look, it is kind of neat. Just the idea of being able to have a machine that really is kind of a miniature CNC, yeah. you know, just once in a while might be kind of a, a neat that I'm really afraid to see some of the stuff we could come up with. Sure, yeah, no kidding. <laughs> oh, let's see here. Now, his, Scott's last comment that he has here is about uh, table saw safety. Uh, there's no conceivable way to get uh, just a little cut on a table saw. I've been witness to three people cut themselves on a saw in my past 11 years woodworking. You are cut before you realize it. Every time it was a trip to the hospital, you get stitches. You get cut because you aren't watching your blade, and in mid-cut, you can't let go because of kickback. I have seen the saw stop in action. When I have the money for that saw, I will get it. This, that saw stops so fast, you only need a Band-Aid. The wrong type of accident on a conventional saw will be a career-ender. No more clapping. A trip to the hospital costs more than a new blade after the safety stop is triggered. Uh, but he says... Keep up the great shows, Mark and Matt, uh, and that's from Scott. And mm-hmm. Scott, we you know we we definitely have heard of quite a few a few ideas about the uh, saw stop, and yep. I agree, it's just, it's definitely a great tool, and its time has come. But I still, I'm going to put myself out on a, on a limb here. I still don't know if I'm willing to put the money out for it uh, if I have my choice of another saw. Sure. Oh, there I said it. Oh, please don't th- don't oh. send the hate mail. Here comes the hate mail. You asked for it. Oh, boy. And uh, I'm not going to say anything about it. Uh, I will thank Scott for his uh, tips, and I, I think he's he's right on the money. And, um, you know, if, if that seems like something that's a good idea for you to purchase and you got the money, I certainly can't argue with the logic. So um, right. I don't, you know, less trips to the hospital and more people clapping. I'm always for right. that. Yeah, preferably clapping with me, not at me. And uh, yeah, <laughs> yeah. All right. So we got the next one here from Christian. Uh, oh, okay. I was uh, there's a reference to something we said before. I didn't get it at first. Hey, Matt and Mark, how are you there up over uh, <laughs> instead of down under? Uh, I'm from the Netherlands and I have a question about hand planes. Seeing and hearing all of Matt's episodes about hand planes, I kind of picked up your passion for them. I started by lapping my Stanley Number no. 4 Handyman. I uh, inherited it about 15 years ago from my dad, but I used it only once and twice due to lack of success with it. Uh, although being it not the best type of plane out there, it sure does perform well. Uh, now, thanks to you and an item on sharpening and tuning your blade by David uh, C., I guess David Charlesworth? Oh, probably, yeah. Uh, that I saw on the Woodworking Channel. I now own a Stanley Number no. 3C, and number four handyman, and he's just na- okay. So a number five, a number six, and a number eight. Um, they are all old models except for the number four, which is a seventies model. Seventies um, model that takes my imagination I mean, in a totally different direction. I saw a big afro on the handle, <laughs> uh, some funkadelic uh, sides. <laughs> yeah, exactly. I find them very useful, and using them gives me a lot of satisfaction over the result. Matt and Mark, what are your recommendations on specialty planes for fine joinery, such as plowing dados for shelves, uh, doing lap joints, cleaning up mortise and tenon joints, and stuff? Uh, good luck with the show, and greetings from right aside. Christian. Now, I, you know, I don't use specialty planes very much, and I'm like a self-confessed power tool 
kind of junky type person. Um, and I, I really keep the essential complement of tools in my shop. So I probably will uh, uh, let Matt talk more about this. But for me, aside from my standard block plane and my low angle block plane, um, I would say the only other specialty things are my cabinet scraper, my number 80 Stanley cabinet scraper, which I can't live without. And um, I do have a Veritas shoulder plane which can come in handy for uh, trimming tenons, and you could even get that thing in a three-quarter inch dado if you need to. Um, but there's times right. when you need to get right up to that edge, and you don't want to use a chisel to do it, uh, especially tenons comes to mind as, as the best use for it. I pull out that shoulder plane. Absolutely. Anything yeah, else, like any it, other specialty ones that, that you use or would recommend? Yeah, you know, actually, was I, I just kind of got hung up there on the right side. You know, Christian, I'm thinking if I'm laying on my back, Technically, I think you're left aside for me. But anyways, though. <laughs> well, technically, you know, one of the things I was thinking with this. Go ahead. Specialty planes is more or less kind of. There are a few out there that are specifically for dados, and it's funny. It was a couple years ago. Was going through a flea market and came across the an old Stanley dado uh, hand plane, and that's all this thing does. Is it? It's very much similar to a rabbit plane. And you will actually go through and you set up a little fence and you can actually plow out dados with it. And they even have the various sizes. So you can have like a three-quarter inch dado, you know, all the way up to like a one-inch dado. They're really unique. And now I think if you look for it on eBay, you're definitely going to be paying a hefty price for a decent one. Cause they're, they're, they're definitely worth their weight in gold from what I've seen. Sure. Um, I'm thinking when it comes down to it, I noticed that uh, Lee Nielsen and even Veritas now has out their own version of a router plane, which is really great, uh, more or less kind of like maybe if you've gone through and created a, uh, a data with your maybe your data head cutter or a, a router bit, and you just want to kind of clean it up or maybe you just want to widen it a little bit, these might be really good in that situation. In fact, actually, I think Lee Nielsen just came up with a smaller one that actually is more economical and it, and it works really great i'm trying to remember what the price is on it it's it, it's i can i can picture it right now so it might be something worth looking at uh, you mentioned the uh shoulder plane and i have one and I, I i love mine like you said you can pop it into a dado to clean it up yeah. you i use it constantly for when i'm working uh on tenons just to kind of get the shoulder just the right way yep. and sometimes i'll even use it on my uh on a, on a rabbit if i've created one and i just want to kind of clean it up a little bit to maybe i haven't made it quite wide enough or it's a little sloppy um those are the only things i'm thinking of i, I know there's probably a, a ton more specialty planes out there but the, that's the main ones that I know are available right now and kind of easy to get a hold of. It's like the shoulder plane and the new version of the router planes. Um, yeah, those are those are the main ones. And Otherwise, you're probably going to have to look for uh, like on eBay or flea markets or what have you for some of the other ones. Right, and I, you got to kind of walk that balance between what's cool for nostalgic purposes and then what just doesn't make sense. You know, I right. mean, personally, I, the, those router type planes and things like that, they are so cool, and I love to see them in action. And, you know, as, as a, a hobbyist, you could, you know, you could do this stuff any way you want to, whatever gives you pleasure as you do it, you know, and, uh, uh makes you feel good about the, the hobby. Um, but I guess my production oriented mind just says, I just can't imagine spending time doing that. You know, if, if there's so many other better ways, quote unquote, better ways to do it. Um, right. but yeah, there, I've seen some pretty crazy stuff out there, but I think for the average person, you know, you can get two or three. Uh, specialty planes and, and consider yourself pretty well stocked. Right. I would definitely have to recommend, you know, if you were to get just one, it has to be the shoulder plane. That is just 
really one that just you can yeah, do so much with it. I agree. And, and, I mean, you own one and you you enjoy yours, so yep. I think that speaks wonders. <laughs> I enjoy it quite uh, often. Yes. Cool. <laughs> God. <laughs> oh man, I'm in a weird mood today. Okay. Yeah, it must be your eyes are still wait coming down from the dilation. Yeah, I guess. But I don't know what was in that eye drop. I don't know. Or is it a full moon tonight? I can't remember. Um, it could be. Sun's still out over here, though. All right. Um, well, I, what, is it you next? Yeah, I did Christians and... Oh, it is. Yeah, yeah. look at that. It says Matt. Yes, right. sir. <laughs> okay, hi, guys. Uh, great work. I enjoy both of your shows. My question is regarding sanding, and what should one sand when using a router for creating a detailed edge? Thanks, James. And my answer to this is... I think you're pretty much going to have to sand just about every single time. Now, you can actually, and we've talked about this in the past, I know I've talked about it on my show, and I know that you've even mentioned it, Mark, Mm -hmm. where you just kind of maybe drop the bit down, maybe just, you know, a tiny smidgen, you know, just a little pinch, and you can actually go back through and burnish the edge, and that's going to, maybe in some situations, you might be able to completely eliminate the sanding, but I think in most situations, you're just going to take yourself from having to go through multiple grits down to maybe the final one. So like if you're going to finish with like 180 or 220, maybe by kind of burnishing the edge a little bit by dropping that router router bit down just a pinch, you know, you, you saved yourself a lot of work. But other than that, I think that's when you're going to really kind of run into the fact that inevitably you're still going to have to, you know, sand it. And then the question becomes, what kind of edge is it? What's the profile? And how can you do th- do the sanding without actually destroying the the edge that you've created? Mm-hmm. Yeah, absolutely. And I I would sand every time. I can't think of a case where I would you know take something right off of a router bit and go, okay, it's good. Let's put the finish on because it's hard to predict how that area is going to accept the finish. Like you said, if you do burnish the surface, you've sort of actually closed off its ability from you know, pulling in stain. So um, I would say everything needs to be sanded evenly in order to promote even stain absorption, even just, um, you know, the adhesion of the finish itself. So definitely sand everything. You just got to be creative and careful on how, you know, for those fancy profiles or like that classic uh, bit that that, that you had showed a couple weeks ago, Um, you know, something like that, you may want to keep a crisp edge on some of those squared off sections. Um, But even still, you may, you almost always want to break that edge just a little bit, because if you don't, you risk the possibility of chipping out that corner. Um, So you always want to sort of slightly break the edge, but definitely hit it with a, a little sandpaper regardless. Right. You know, and of course, when you do the uh, end grain, it always seems like nobody wants to have to sand that. I mean, that's just a bear on its own. But unfortunately, yeah, you're going to have to sand. Sorry, James. Kind of have to. So, all right, moving on, we've got uh, another one here. And this is actually pretty long. So we're going to spend the rest of the time on this guy. This is from. Craig, you're such a lucky man. Yeah, this is from Craig in Springfield, Ohio. Craig says, okay, I have to admit it. Woodworking is as much about finishing as it is building. I was in denial for a while because I love to build but hate to finish. I now understand that both disciplines must be learned, and if I am to be an accomplished woodworker, I made that the wrong type of sentence, but uh, you get the point. With this in mind, I set out to make the finishing task a little less uh, despicable uh, by buying a Fuji HVLP turbine sprayer. Good man, that's the one I have. So now I have this really expensive machine that promises to make my life easier. Only problem is I'm completely clueless about how to use it. Is there a book or a video series that you can think of that would help someone like me with no spraying experience? I want to learn how the system works, all of the parts, and how they work together, the proper care or sp- of spray equipment, as well as the best techniques to use. 
If you like, I'll share with you a few of my questions. Please feel free to answer just uh, one of them or none of them, and I think we'll answer all of them. Um, First off, I read as much as I could about spray finishing as well when I first got my turbine. Um, I read some of the Taunton books and all standard finishing books generally will touch on the topic. Uh, Unfortunately, they don't go into great detail, especially not the detail he's looking for, but you can get quite a bit out of it. But the truth is it wasn't until I went out there and forced myself to spray some projects, trial and error, you know, hands-on was probably the most effective tool that I had, uh, you know, in, in learning the process of spraying. Oh, absolutely. You know, you can only read so much before you actually have to get out there and do it. Um, but you can find in these books, you know, and even in the manufacturer's uh, manual, you should find some information about, you know, dissecting this thing to figure out what each and every part does uh, so you understand the, the concept a little better. And once you understand that, then it becomes a little easier to make those adjustments. Um, Absolutely. Yeah. So, I mean, really get out there, just get some test boards, some plywood and start spraying. You know, even if you just put water in there, you know, spray some water around the shop. Um, that'll give you a much better idea of how to adjust the fan, you know, how to how to uh, increase the airflow, uh, the, the flow of the actual liquid through the nozzle. You could play with all those things and you're only spraying water onto a piece of plywood. So there's you know no harm, no foul. That's a great idea, actually. Yeah. Do you do you know of any? Uh, any specifically spray finishing books out there? I, um, I admit that I didn't. And... Yeah, I didn't re- do my research here, but no, I, I, you know, because that that actually is one of those things. When I was first getting into it, um, I maybe I'm looking in the wrong section. Perhaps you could find it like an automotive or something like that. Yeah, that's true and too. Maybe that's an area to check out. Yeah, and this is something when it comes to spray finishing, it you know if you can get someone who has experience to show you some things that is invaluable. Um, I know when I was starting, uh, my buddy Cody, um, has a refinishing shop and I got to learn some stuff from his system and that just completely fast forwarded, you know, the whole process. So definitely try and find somebody in a local guild or something who's got a system who can show you a few pointers. Either Um, maybe find like one of those really old fashioned hairstylists that used a lot of Aquanet and figure out how the (laughs) heck she got it. Like, you know, all over the place. (laughs) There you go. Aquanet in a can. All right. Uh, let's see. So let's uh, touch on a few of his other questions and topics, and uh, okay. hopefully we can rip through these. He's got seven of them. Who dang? Okay. So spraying stain. Do you spray on and wipe off with a rag, just like brushing it on, or do you just spray a thin coat and let it dry? Um, I would say it really depends. Um, in most cases, I spray on and leave it on. That's that's kind of the point is to get a nice even coverage and typically your carrier, you know, so if you're, you're spraying a dye that happens to be an alcohol or if it's a dye that's in a lacquer based finish, um, it dries so quickly. You don't really want to touch it after you put it on the surface. Um, and the advantage there is you can get nice, even coverage. So if you're trying to color something that has a tendency to, to stain unevenly, that's the way you stop it from doing that because this material doesn't actually absorb. It sits on the surface and it tones the surface as opposed to uh, truly staining the surface. So in most cases, I spray it and leave it. Uh, but if I've got like an oil-based stain and I just feel lazy and I want to, you know, get it on the surface as quickly as possible and I'll wipe off the excess, you know, you can do that method. But most of the time, I actually don't do that. Okay. Um, let's see. Number two. Uh, I set up a spray area in a corner of my basement. This was funny when I I read this the first time. Um, My shop is in the garage, uh, but I figured it would be best to have uh, finishing done far away from the dust in the shop. 
I open the box of the sprayer and there's a notice inside that says, don't use below grade. (laughs) Oops. Uh, How big of a problem is this? I have two basement windows in this room that I can open and I can put fans in them to draw out the fumes. I also plan on using mostly waterborne stains and water-based paints. How concerned should I be about this issue? You know, (laughs) well, obviously you found out that it's not a good idea. Um, Even with waterborne stuff, you know, there's still dangerous chemicals in that. And even, you know, when that goes airborne, it's still, you know, it's not like you're spraying water. It's just waterborne. There are still nasty chemicals in there. So um, I would personally, I would forego any basement spraying at all. The thing is, you got to remember a lot of these chemicals and, you know, once they get into sort of an atomized, you know, and then partially gaseous state in the fumes that they uh, off gas are probably heavier than air in a lot of cases. So they're going to pull into the basement. So even if you're, you know, physically pulling air out of there, you'll you'll get some of it out and you'll increase the ventilation and that's good if you insist on doing it. Um, But ultimately, the stuff is, if it's heavier than air, um, that's going to be a problem. It's going to sit down there and pull in the basement and just sit under your house and slowly, you know, dissipate through the home. So I probably would recommend avoiding that at all costs. And if you don't have a proper spray booth uh, in your garage, just spray outside. You know, yeah, don't, don't absolutely. Take it. It's all about ventilation. It really is. I mean, this is just stuff we really shouldn't be playing around with. Mm-hmm. It's not worth know, the risk. Man, you know, and if there's no. if there's a pilot light or something somewhere in the basement, uh, any sort of open flame, um, and just for everybody's well being and health, you're just better off getting it out of there and. You know, sometimes you may have to forgo the spraying until you have the proper uh, scenario to spray in. I mean, for me, if if I can't spray outside, I can't spray. Um, So if it's a real windy day and the dust is blowing and I'm supposed to be finishing that day, you know, guess I have a day off because, you know, or find something else to do because I can't spray in that case because I don't have the uh, proper spray booth. Oh, wuss. Come on. You come up with a whole new, like, finishing system. (laughs) Actually, most of the time, if I'm in a rush, I spray outside, and I just have to deal with all the sand that's sitting in my finish. Um, You know, it happens, but... All right. It's that rough texture thing that people like. It's a textured look. It's a non-slip surface on their bookshelf. Um, So, what's the best way to spray the edges of workpieces? Now, some of these questions here is getting into technique. Uh, about spraying, which is is kind of good because this is what he needs to know. Um, for spraying the edges of workpieces, for example, three quarter inch edge of a board, the overspray gets on the face of the board. Uh, then when you spray the face, it's like applying another coat. Won't this cause uneven coloring? Um, it can, it can. And what I usually do, you got two options. You either put the spray onto the circular concentrated spray and lighten up on the actual flow. So it's, you know, basically it's circular instead of a fan. Um, that's one way to do it. I don't like that because that's way too easy to get drops if you if you concentrate in one area too much. So typically, I'll put it on a fan, but I will spray dead on, uh, even with the side. I won't, you know, spray from above because that kind of promotes too much material getting on the top surface. So spray from the side, nice, even, smooth coat all the way across. Now, you will get over spray on the top. But usually you don't just spray the edge, you're spraying the whole board. So I spray that side, and then my very next stroke is over the top. So you're sort of, let the overspray go in the direction that you're heading. So that if it, you know, the overspray keeps going forward, and your motion is to go forward, um, the overspray will be sprayed over again with a full wet coat, and won't cause a problem. Um, In terms of color, 
the overspray that you get when you spray the side, you shouldn't be spraying that much concentrated color to begin with that the overspray will do too much to the top surface. So I think you'll be okay. Well, maybe you can have like a nice shadow line. We'll call it that again, a new technique. Exactly. Yeah. Well, if you're looking for that effect, you can easily achieve it that way. But you do have to okay. be, excuse my little beeps there every few seconds. It's my email. Um, okay. Number, what are we on? Number four? Uh, my yep, manual. Okay. My manual states, keep the cup pointed downward below horizontal. The cup must always be lower than the gun. I read this to mean that laying a board flat on a table and then tilting the gun so that it's parallel to the face of the board and then spraying is a no-no. So all pieces that I want to spray have to be vertical. That's uh, not necessarily the case. Um, in most cases, that little uh, tube that goes into the cup is bent. Okay, so that if you do tilt that gun perfectly parallel to a flat board, technically you're actually on an angle because the of the angle that's built into uh, the little nozzle itself. So it is okay to do that. And if if your cup is really low, then I wouldn't recommend doing that because you're going to start pulling in air. Uh, but if you've got a nice full uh, full cup of fluid, you should be able to get away with staying uh, you know uh, parallel to the surface on a flat board. Um, it doesn't hurt to tilt it up a little bit. Sometimes I do that because I need to reach it, and it's a long, you know, wide board. It's easier to tilt it up, but um, you know, I do it all the time. Um, so basically, just keep in mind if the fluid's low, you know, that's going to be a problem. So keep keep that cup full, and you should have no problem doing flat surfaces. Right. So what you're saying is, when your cupeth runneth loweth, tilteth <laughs> to compensateth. Maketh cupeth runneth over. But if, more importantly, remember your difference between your horizontals and your verticals. And your latitude and longitude. Oh, fact, don't even start me on that one. I believe that was what we had a problem with before. And I still haven't looked, I haven't looked that one up yet. <laughs> All right. Um, and let's quickly get through this because we're hitting our time limit here. Uh, oh, okay. Is there any mistake I could make that would really screw up this expensive machine, or should I feel free to dive in and learn trial and error? Uh, I'd say dive in. Don't bend the needle. Don't drop anything and try not to leave finish in there for too long. Uh, lacquers, you can get away with a little bit more, um, you know. but any sort of waterborne material, you want to clean that afterwards because that will dry quickly and, uh, and harden inside uh, the tubes and things like that, so it could cause a problem. Um, but yeah, have fun, follow the instructions, but be careful. Um, and what in the hell is a pressure pot? A pressure pot is um, a system usually for HVLP where the, the liquid sits in a large pot and the air pressure goes through and drives that liquid through a tube into the gun, typically in a, a, a gun that doesn't have a cup. It's just got your air pressure and your fluid line, and it sits in a pressurized pot, and that's why it's called a pressure, uh, pressure pot. Um, oh, that's what I call my toilet after Mexican food. Yeah, <laughs> that's funny and gross at the same time. Um, so yeah, that is what a pressure pot is in the world of finishing. Um, okay, and what are the advantages of a pressurized cup system over gravity cup? Typically, uh, as far as I'm aware, there's not a huge advantage in terms of spraying. It, de it depends on the type of work you do, where sometimes it's better to have the, the fluid from above. Uh, whereas, you know, from below, you may not be able to get into a certain area. So it might depend. A lot of guys have two guns because sometimes you got that one project where the gravity feed, um, is just easier to use. Personally, I think the, um, uh, the bottom hanging cup is, uh, the pressurized cup is, is easier to use. I just, I just find it to be a better system. It's easier to load up the cup and things like that. Um, the gravity fed ones are kind of tricky to load up with material and I, I just, I, I never had fun using them. So personally i like the 
the other uh, pressurized cup system better. Cool. Um, he also mentions not pointing the gun in someone's face, and he wants to know why, because he thinks it'd be a good way to get rid of people who annoy you in the shop. And uh, I, I agree with him on that one. Um, and I think that is just about it from Craig. So uh, if we want to... Didn't you have a quick announcement to make, I think? The Web Awards Yeah, deal? actually, uh, I was just kind of curious to see what people think about this. Nobody obligated whatsoever, but apparently the podcast awards are coming up, and they're pretty soon going to be able to start nominating. And I was just... Not you know so much. Uh, I, I want to win. Who wants out there to nominate Wood Talk Online? Uh, apparently, nominations start July first. I think it would be kind of neat because I we're pretty much the only ones out there. So I think we might have a chance of winning and in I'm our category. Sure <laughs> I think <laughs> yeah, we uh, would become the new category. There you go. <laughs> nice. Well, that sounds good. Um, we'll 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 so, put the information in the show notes, I guess, for you know. Links yeah, I'll, I'll find the link for it. I know I saw it mentioned, and I heard it on a couple other shows. So uh, I'll definitely see what I can find on it, and we'll we'll probably be able to get some more information in the next show before it actually starts. Because I think it, the nominations start July first, so we got a little time there. Okay, well, sounds good, and we're gonna be cut off here any second. So until next time, we will catch you guys later. Yep. See you around. See ya, and uh, thanks for listening because we think you're the best. <laughs> <laughs> 